All right, well, good morning, everyone. Um, for those of you who might not know it, my name is Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here with the church. And um, as I have had the opportunity to preach lately, we have been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to keep doing that this morning. We're going to get into uh, the second half of chapter 5. Uh, so if you have your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and open them up to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We'll be reading there in a few minutes. If you happen not to have a Bible, but you want one, you can raise your hand and one of our ushers will make sure that, uh, that you get one. And as I say, we'll, we'll read from there in just a few minutes. Um, so Jessie O'Neill, she's a therapist. Jessie O'Neill is a therapist. And she wrote a book called The Golden Ghetto, The Psychology of Affluence. And in that book, she describes something called um, affluenza. Affluenza. So as in influenza, the disease, and affluence, put them together, you get affluenza. Uh, Maybe maybe some of you have uh, heard of that. There There have been some documentaries about this. There's been some news things lately, so maybe you've heard of that. Affluenza. Well, O'Neill says that affluenza, I mean, what is this? She says it's a harmful um, or unbalanced relationship with money or its pursuit. She says it's a dysfunctional relationship with money, wealth, or its pursuit. And then that leads to all kinds of things like anxiety, uh, depression, debt, uh, workaholism, uh, stress, psychological wounds, wounds, behavioral disorders, and the list really goes on. And you might think that this is a thing for the rich to uh, deal with, but actually it's not just about uh, rich people getting entangled in this, because it's really not about having all of this stuff, but it's really every bit as much to do with uh, the desire to have this stuff. So what some might call a dogged pursuit of more and more of these things, a dogged pursuit of more. And then uh, it also has to do with then the various physical and emotional uh, pains that, that come with that or with that pursuit. And those are going to be personal problems, uh, it's been observed, and also uh, really societal problems in general. So that's affluenza. And uh, That would be, I think, one way to describe what is addressed here in this passage of Ecclesiastes that we'll look at today. Uh, If we could could think of something like affluenza, uh, like a sickness or a disease, then this part of Ecclesiastes is kind of like a flu shot for that. It's kind of like a a vaccine or a treatment against this thing that we might think of as affluenza. And, um, and, and so the writer kind of gives us a, a, a flu shot here. He gives us, um, he gives it in, in really two doses. So uh, first of all, he, he simply says that money and possessions do not, in fact, satisfy. Part of the treatment is just know that, matter-of-factly. And then he'll give us some reasons why it doesn't satisfy. And then secondly, more positively, he'll tell us what does satisfy, what is satisfying, how and where can we find contentment and joy? Okay, so let's read together and then we'll, we'll start fleshing out some of that stuff. Uh, but before we read, please pray with me again. Lord, I do thank you for the chance that we have to be together this morning. And I pray that you would simply help us right now 
to be sensitive to, um, to your Holy Spirit, uh, to, to soften us, to move on us, to direct, direct us and guide us uh, as you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, this is uh, Ecclesiastes 5, uh, starting at verse 8, and we'll go all the way to the end of the chapter. So verse 8, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there is yet higher ones over them. But this is, this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Or as other translations put it, a a sickening tragedy. A sickening tragedy that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there for him or to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all of the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and to rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Amen. Okay, so um, I, I think the writer here basically is observing something like affluenza. Something, uh, of course, uh, he wouldn't call it that. This was thousands of years ago. He wouldn't call it that. He would basically call it vanity or uh, futility. Um, you, you remember this idea of vanity uh, or futility, a uh, major theme throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And there, there are nuances to uh, what this really means, kind of depending on the context um, that, that, that comes up through the book. And I think in the case of this passage, I think that, that futility, that, that vanity is really expressed in this idea of affluenza, if you will. It's, this, it's expressed in this essentially dysfunctional relationship with money and with its pursuit, and, and then what results from that. Now, this Jessie o- O'Neill, she says that affluenza is rooted in, where does it come from? It's rooted in this assumption that money can, should, and does buy happiness. Well, our passage today says, nope, not true. And, uh, and so again, sort of like a flu shot here, the writer wants to prevent us from buying into that assumption. It's one of the aims of the passage here, I think. And a first, a first dose of that medicine for us, we might say, is simply by being told the truth. He simply tells us the truth, and that is that money simply won't satisfy us. And then he, um, as I say, gives us some reasons why that is true. So first of all, then, 
um, money and, and possessions will not satisfy. Verse 10 explicitly, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. And then the writer's going to go on here and give us a couple reasons why that is. Why won't these things satisfy? Well, one reason is because they don't last. Very simply, they don't last. In fact, quite the opposite. They are fleeting. And in fact, um, this really, now the the idea of vanity and futility, there are different nuances based on the context, but really at the root of the word, it is really this. It's, It's this idea that things are fleeting. Um, so it's this, this it, things are unsatisfactory because they're transitory. Uh, the, the fact that they're fleeting makes them in themselves feel basically unsubstantial. Uh, it, it's like a vapor or a breath. It's here one second, it's gone uh, the next. Um, now that doesn't mean, of course, that the satisfaction that can be found, or, or that there's literally no satisfaction that can be found in our money or in our Uh, possessions, uh, not saying that. Um, In fact, there often can be lots of satisfaction in our possessions. If if I think if we're honest, all of us would probably say that, yeah, I actually get quite a bit of pleasure and satisfaction out of the things that I have. But the point here, so the point here is not to say that literally there's no satisfaction that can be found in uh, our money or possessions, but it's it's to say that, it's, it's to make the point that the nature of that satisfaction is fleeting. The nature of that satisfaction, it's like trying to catch the wind. You go to grab it, and you got nothing. You feel it for a second, but then it's gone. All right? And, and it can be fleeting. This, this uh, satisfaction can be fleeting for a few different reasons. For some, it might be because of the, the love of money in other people. The love of money in other people, like government officials. Um, government officials with this some sort of a kind of a verse 10 covetous love of money heart and that's I think that's in part of what's going on here in verses 8 to 9 okay so verse 8 again uh, you see it says you if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness Do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. Okay, so I think that the picture that we're we're getting here is basically uh, covetous government officials at various levels, and they're each basically skimming off the top of the one below them and ultimately um, coming from the poor. Um, Probably that's what's going on. Or, Or it could be maybe a picture of just kind of a cronyism where where just every official at every level is kind of watching out for each other, watching each other's back, and then ultimately that's all at the expense of the poor. But either way, um, the thrust of the, the passage, I think, is, is basically for the writer to be showing, here, here's one way that uh, satisfaction uh, it can be fleeting, satisfaction of our wealth. Here's, uh, here's one way that it can happen. Uh, it can be lost really quickly, uh, lost just as quickly as it's gained because of some forms of oppression. Because there might be covetousness in another person's heart, especially somebody who has power, and they can come and take it from me. Okay, that would be one way that it's fleeting. Um, now, uh, we can sort of examine ourselves, I think, at this point. The picture here, again, is basically of a, of a covetous 
uh, government official or officials, and, uh, and uh, they've got that in their heart, and from that heart, they are unjust, they are unrighteous, they are oppressive. But in principle, it's really just simply to show one person sinning against another person because of what's going on in their heart, because of this covetous, this greed, uh, this love of money uh, in one's heart. And so let's just let that challenge us here for a bit. Um, you, you know, we, I don't know how many in here happen to be government officials. We might have a few. I'm not sure. But even if you're not a government official, uh, we can be challenged by this, this passage. And here's a good question for us, I think, maybe. What do you want so badly that you are willing to oppress or you're willing to step on others in order to get it or, or, or in order to hold on to it? What do you want so badly that you are willing to sin against others in order to hold on to that or in order to uh, uh, go get it? So you might not be oppressing people in the same way these government officials might be oppressing people here, but are you sinning against anybody? Are you sinning against your spouse? Are you sinning against your, your child, against your friend, against your coworker, against your neighbor? Why? Why are you unkind? Why are you harsh? Why is that? Why are you angry? Well, oftentimes, it has something to do with essentially a, a form of money love or a form of possession love that's, that's in our hearts, and it's starting to express itself. James 4 says that, that quarrels among us, quarrels among us are actually caused by our not getting what we want. We want something, and we don't get it. Um, money or possessions, or oftentimes maybe not money and possessions in and of themselves, but what those things can get us. Comfort, um, some sort of pleasure, some sort of, of security. And, and you're, you're in my way. And so I sin against you. You're in my way. So James says, you desire and you do not have, and so you murder. Or, short of that, you covet, he says. And you cannot obtain, and so you fight and quarrel. You covet. You want something, you can't get it, and so you quarrel. So what do you want so badly that you are willing to fight and quarrel in order to, uh, in order to get it? Whatever it is, and we all just have to kind of take stock of our, of our hearts in that, whatever it is, um, if we are willing to sin in order to get that thing, or in order to hold on to that thing, a pretty good bet that there is some sort of covetousness, some sort of greedy, some sort of otherwise just dysfunctional relationship with possession somewhere uh, in my heart. And so that might be in our, heart, our hearts, um, but we might, kind of coming back to the, 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 the Ecclesiastes here, we, we might lose our possessions because that's in the heart of somebody else. One of the reasons why it can... Our, our possessions, our money can be, and the satisfaction of it can be here one second and gone the next. Maybe there's covetous in someone else's heart, and they take what, um, what I want. And um, so that, again, gets expressed in taking our stuff, basically. Uh, now, there's some other reasons why uh, these things are fleeting, uh, and the, the author um, fleshes that out in verses 11 to 16. Uh, I'm just staying high-level kind of principles here. We won't get into every verse, but... But basically, you see other reasons in those verses about 
what makes these things fleeting. Could be lost to taxes. Government, I mean, literally, the more you make, the more you give away. So in, in and out. Or it might just have to go to dependents. You gotta, you've got a family. You've got a family that you have some responsibility for, and, 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 and you, wanna, you need to feed them. Um, or as in verse 14, everything could be lost in a bad venture. I mean, some sort, probably what's in mind here is some sort of, of um, uh, unwise, kind of irresponsibly high-risk um, business deal, a shady business deal, maybe, maybe some sort of bad investment, um, and that's driven by greed, bad investment, or a, a, bad, uh, a bad venture. Whatever the case, the point, again, I think of verses 11 to 16, is that there's really nothing about money, there's nothing about our possessions in and of themselves that guarantee in any way that they're going to be here tomorrow. We have no guarantees that what we have will be here uh, tomorrow. Money and possessions, they're, they're, they're not satisfying, uh, the writer is saying, because one reason is they're fleeting. Simply put. They can go just as quick as they come. Or we could go. Our possessions can go just as quickly as they come. We could go. We could die. Uh, verses 15 and 16 basically tell us that, that we can't take anything with us when we die. So we could go, and then what? We can't take anything with us when we die. And so, um, again, just as fast as money can come and go, we actually could be gone tomorrow. There's really no guarantee. I mean, it, every one of us is one heart attack, one accident of some sort away from death. You're, you're, I mean, literally, uh, for any one of us, seriously, any one of us could be in a, a car accident on the way home today. And, and be killed. In fact, in the five years of our young church's life, that's happened. Here, leaves, and is killed. It can happen. Life is fragile. Life is really fleeting. And that's, again, part of why, again, money, possessions, these things, they can't ultimately satisfy. Um, um, we might have them for an entire life, but then we die, and, and, and then what? Um, so money and possessions, they won't satisfy. And, uh, and again, I think ele verses 11 to 16, the point basically is to say they won't satisfy because they are fleeting. Now another reason why they won't satisfy, another reason, is that they're just bad for your health. Or they can be. I mean, really, it it's, seems kind of weird, but I think the writer here gives us some examples of how the love of money, or, or how the fleeting nature of money especially, really can be bad for your health, pretty much all the way around, physically, um, emotionally. Uh, in verse 17, I think you see some of this. In verse 17, here, here I think you have a man who's, who's so tied up thinking that money really can, should, and does buy us happiness, that he is just banking on that, but then poof, it's gone, and now what? Well, you get verse 17. Eating in darkness. Isolated in some way, in other words. Shut out from community. Alone. And vexation. That is uh, frustration, worry, anxiety. And you get sickness. You get anger. Or like uh, verse 12. Verse 12 says, The full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Um, partly that's true, I think, because of the anxiety that... that 
uh, somebody with a lot of uh, possessions uh, has in thinking, how can I keep this stuff? How can I guard it? And, and that keeps them up at night. Or, partly I think this is true, because really of the luxury of just physically overeating, so much so that your stomach is just packed full and it literally hurts. So that's part of what's going on there. So, man, you've got darkness, vexation, sickness, anger, anxiety, gluttonous stomach pain. Um, man, all kinds of stuff going on here. Sleepless nights. That sounds, all of that sounds very bad for your health, if you ask me. And it sounds a lot like some of these symptoms that people talk about related to affluenza. Again, anxiety, depression, stress, impaired relationships, psychological wounds, and, and more. And the Apostle Paul would add to that, I think, and he would say it, it, it's not just a risk here of physical or emotional uh, damage, um, but more importantly, there's a risk here to our spiritual health. So in 1 Timothy 6, you can just make note of this, 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 to 10, uh, Paul says there that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. He says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving, craving, that some have wandered away from the faith. There it is, that spiritual danger. Through craving stuff, many have wandered from the faith. And they've pierced themselves with many pangs. And uh, so these are things, these, are, th these things are, are partly why Ecclesiastes here again is saying that money and possessions, they don't satisfy. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Why? Man, because they're really bad for your health, or at least they can be. They're fleeting, and they're really bad for your health, okay? At least two big reasons I think we get in those verses. Well, um, so if money and possessions uh, don't satisfy, then... What does? What does satisfy? And, and how and, and where can we find this contentment or, or joy? And I think then in verses 18 to 20, we get the writer giving us some answers to that. And really, right away, boy, verse 18, he says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting. So man, lo uh, um, uh, love of money, love of, of, of possessions, they, they don't satisfy all sorts of bad, bad stuff related to that. But here's what good, he says. Here's what's good. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. In other words, simply enjoy the fruit of your labor. Enjoy it today. As long as it is today, enjoy it. And then verse 19, Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. So man, I think really that's it in a nutshell in terms of Where's the enjoyment? Where do we go for it? Find enjoyment in the fruit of your labor. Find enjoyment in whatever wealth and possessions that you might have. Now, this is not a contradiction. It might sound like it at, at, at face value. It's not a contradiction. Um, I know, so verse 10, 
Um, and, and the thrust of those, uh, that free, the, the previous verses, definitely uh, uh, telling us that money, these things will not satisfy. And now here the writer says, enjoy your wealth and possessions. Enjoy them. Enjoy the fruit of your labor. Well, a couple things I think to note that uh, kind of help us, um, help us see that this is not actually contradictory counsel. Uh, one thing to note in that regard is just to notice that verse 10, uh, it's really referring, I think, to a kind of covetousness or a, a, a kind of greed. Um, and, and so it's really this, this craving after more and more. It's like that description of the, the affluenza, that it's this dogged pursuit of more and more. Money and possessions, they won't be satisfying to the one who loves them. To the one who loves them, they will not be satisfied. For the one who loves them, they'll essentially be like some sort of an addictive drug where you just need more and more of it in kind of progressively stronger doses so that you can get any kind of a rush. For the one who loves these things, they won't be satisfying. They will be like the wind. But in verses uh, 18 to 19, on the other hand, I think the emphasis is, is, is really more the, the immediate moment. It's about here and now. Enjoy what you have right now while you have it. Don't worry about growing it. Don't worry about holding on to it. Don't worry about going to get more of it. Don't lose any sleep over it. Certainly don't oppress anybody because of it. Enjoy it. Just enjoy it as you have it, rather than craving for what you don't have. Enjoy what you have now, rather than craving what you don't have. Um, so, a little bit of a different slant, not contradictory. Another point um, that, that, that says this is not contradictory counsel, um, and this is really the key, I think, um, really to verses 18 to 20. It, 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 the, the writer is saying that um, it's not that we would just enjoy uh, the moment. It's not just that we would enjoy what we have right now, but, but really, more specifically, it's that we would enjoy what we have as a gift. As a gift. There is a different understanding of how it is that we even have what we have, how we even got what we have. It is a gift. All that we have is a gift, and more specifically, it is a gift from God. So the relatively few days of our life is a gift. Our toil, our daily work itself, that's a gift. Any wealth or possessions that we might have today, that's a gift. And even, catch this, even the power to enjoy those things is a gift. If today you can enjoy what you have, that's a gift from the Lord directly. So there's a kind of a flu shot here, we could say. Something to prevent this, I don't know, something like affluenza. And this flu shot is basically this, this counsel. It's this counsel that we, would, that we would simply enjoy all that we have, or, or that we would not simply enjoy all that we have, period, but that we would enjoy all that we have as a gift from God, as, as the gifts that they, they really are. And that's an important distinction, it's a, it's a fine distinction, it's a subtle distinction, but it's an important one. Um, it's, it's definitely an emphasis, I think, in these verses. Uh, verse 18, there's the phrase, God has given. Um, and we see that again in verse 19, God has given. And then, in verse, uh, or then, and then also in verse 20, you see a phrase, or verse 19, rather, the gift of God. And then in verse 20 as well, I think, 
um, it's implied there that the joy mentioned is also a gift from God. So it's definitely an emphasis, I think, um, uh, in this, this part of the text. It's that we would enjoy what we have as a gift, not something that we've earned, something given to us. Something given to us. It's a gift. And that's good for us, you know, for various reasons. It's helpful for us. Um, helpful, I think, for, I guess, a few reasons. Helpful to, 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 to take and enjoy what we have as gift, rather than somehow we've gotten this in some other way. Um, I'll mention three reasons why I think this is helpful. Uh, first of all, one reason... I, I think is that it, it is just a complete contradiction to what, is a, what many would point out as a, is a symptom of something like affluenza, which is a, a false sense of entitlement. Entitlement. And it's just completely contrary to that. I mean, if I really believe that everything I have is a gift, then literally every breath of every moment of every day of this short life that I might have. Man, I could think of that, as, I could just be surprised by it. And it might be something I would really be worth celebrating. Because I just, I'm here. This is unbelievable. And it was just given to me. I didn't kind of try to be here. I'm just here. And I'm breathing. And it's, it's so good. So, so that's, you know, rather than vexation, uh, rather than stress, anger, uh, anxiety, sleepless nights, man, that would, I think, much more likely breed gratitude, humility, and joy, contentment. So just the, the contradiction to the fact of people thinking about entitlement. Um, secondly, another reason why I think this is helpful, and that is just to think, man, anytime you see any mention of God in the Bible, anywhere, uh, where he's depicted as a giver, as a or, or we see anything about God giving us a gift, man, I think that's got to, we just need to run in our hearts and minds to the greatest gift that God can give. He gives us everything, and there is a greatest of what he gives us. Namely, it is that God gives to us a loving relationship with him and a place among his people in Jesus. So the famous John 3.16, God gave Jesus. He's a gift giver. God gave Jesus so that whoever would trust him for the forgiveness of their sins would have the forgiveness of their sins. And even that trust itself is a gift. So Ephesians 2.8, uh, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Or John, uh, 1 John 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. So all of our days, all of our uh, work, all of the, the, the fruits of our labor, all of this stuff is gift to us. And most incredibly, God's love is a gift to us. And that is expressed, he, again, he, he, it's a gift. He gives us this love. We, we're not entitled to it. He freely gives it. He doesn't have to give it to us, but he does. And, and it's expressed especially in his giving us trust in Jesus 
for the forgiveness of our sins and, and a place, an identity, a new identity among his children. And so despite all the fleeting nature of, uh, uh, of every imaginable possession, the greatest gift of God really can never be lost. Um, it, I, for some reason, I think that sounds cheesy or corny, but it, maybe it doesn't to you. Hopefully it doesn't actually, but it can't be lost. This is something that we truly can take with us uh, when we die. So, so while a money lover is not going to be satisfied with his money, God intends that this incredible gift of salvation is indeed satisfying and in, indeed is a foundational source of joy, a foundational source of satisfaction. He intends that it's our salvation, not circumstances, not possession, salvation first and foremost. So Psalm 13, for example, um, uh, Psalm 13, uh, again, just make note of this. Um, you see in Psalm 13, it's a pretty short psalm, but you see there that the, the writer is, he's full of sorrow for, for one reason or another. And he's, he's got some enemies that are coming against him, and he's sorrowful, and, um, and he's even confused a bit because he doesn't understand where God is and why God's not helping him out. Well, at the end of it, Psalm 13, 5, he says, but... In light of all that, but, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. So, despite the sorrow, despite the confusion, there's joy in salvation. Of course, there's not joy in the difficult circumstances. There's joy in salvation. Joy in salvation, satisfaction, not the circumstances, not money or possessions, no, that stuff's transitory, but in the rock-solid guarantee of salvation. This greatest gift of God. And, and it really is this, um, this possession of ours that really, um, literally cannot be lost. I mean, it is eternal, so we can't lose it to things like a corrupt government. A corrupt government cannot do anything to take that away from us. Um, corrupt people can't do that. We can't get into some strange, weird, bad venture and lose this incredible gift that we have. We really can take this thing with us um, when we die. What can you take with? Well, you can take this with you when you die. And man, I think getting a hold of that, so this, this sense of all of this is gift, and that, that's the greatest gift. You get a hold of that, getting a grip on that, that is going to that's going to, you get a grip on that, that's going to loosen up your grip on, on stuff. That will loosen up this dogged pursuit that we might have of more, of more. Dogged pursuit of more. Give me more. I want more. And the emphasis is stuff here, sure. But it's not the stuff only. It's what that's, we think that stuff can get us. Give me more comfort. Give me more pleasure. Uh, give me more security. Give me more fun. Whatever it is, I want more. And uh, man, you get a hold of the, the gift nature of all that we actually do have, you'll loosen up on that stuff. And, uh, and then, so then this, this would be a third thing to note, um, kind of related to the fact that this isn't totally contradictory advice from earlier in the chapter. Um, he's, he, there's different focus and emphasis, but this is kind of related to, to that, the idea of this loosening up our hands. I mean, really, um, if we can get a hold of the fact that salvation, all these things, it's gift, that is going to free us up 
with these open hands now that we have to really live quite differently among one another in community, quite differently than what you see in at least parts of Ecclesiastes 5. So for example, uh, 1 Timothy 6 again, if you want to make note of this, verses uh, 17 and 18, 1 Timothy 6, starting at verse 17, the Apostle Paul there says, as for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So there's God the giver again. He's richly providing everything that we have, uh, everything to enjoy. And, and so Paul goes on then, verse 18, he says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, to be ready to share. And uh, it, it, really, that's, just a, that's kind of a great summary word for this part of Ecclesiastes 5, I think. As Paul says, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Don't do that. Money doesn't satisfy. Um, Jesus himself would, would chime in here, I think. And in Luke 12, he says, take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness, Jesus says. Be on guard. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Um, but do set your hope on God. On, on God who richly provides, as Paul says. On God who, who gives us our life. He gives us our work. He gives us the fruit of our labor. But then more. Where's that going? What is all this stuff that we've received? What's it for? Where's it all going? What does God intend? Well, hoping in God, this rich provider, God, this giver, that is meant to free us up to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share. And that's pretty much the opposite of the picture that we see, at least, for example, like in verse 8, where there's, uh, I mean, it's the opposite. I'm going to oppress you. There will be injustice. There will be unrighteousness um, because of this stuff I have, rather than total generosity. So Paul is saying, essentially, I think, that, that God has been generous to you. You be generous to others. Or like he would say uh, uh, about other things, God has forgiven you in Jesus, forgive others. That's your, your gift is the ground for your conduct there. Or God has welcomed you in Jesus, you welcome others. Or again, you've, God has been generous with you, you be generous um, uh, with others. So, it, so it, when you, you start to get this sense really of what could be as far as a healthy kind of community that would really grow out of um, this fact that all we have is a gift. Um, that's not throw away like, oh yeah, I know that. Well, do you? Because how is it affecting the way you interact with one another? How is it, how's that fleshing out for me? Uh, I mean, we don't deserve our life, but we receive our life. We don't deserve the fruits of our labor. Oh, but man, we'll, we'll take them. Thank you. Uh, we certainly don't deserve forgiveness. And salvation, but we will happily receive that. And there's just something about that, that, that just knowing that and really believing that, there's something about that that, that that just gives way to a healthy community where there's forgiveness, where there's generosity, where there's welcome, and, and so, so much more. Now, we're not talking about communism here. We're not talking about socialism. Um, you know, there is such a thing as, as private property in some sense. Um, 
We really do own stuff in some sense. Uh, but God gave us that stuff. And he certainly didn't have to. We have no entitlement to stuff that we have. Not from God's perspective anyway. Uh, it, this is a gift to him. He gave it to us. And why did he give it to us? He didn't give it to us just for uh, us as individuals to kind of hoard, um, to let them create some sort of dysfunctional relationship with them. No, he gave it to us for generosity. And uh, I think if, we, if our hope really is in the, the, this lasting joy um, that uh, is set on God, or if our hope is set on God, is, if it's set on the lasting joy that can be um, in God, if it's not set on things like our private property, then I think that, again, it, it should really naturally kind of break us out, break us from this basically dysfunctional relationship with, with money and with uh, possessions. And, and that would then free us up, um, not to go be by ourselves someplace, but to then uh, be a conduit of generosity uh, to others in the community, grow up the community, build up the, the community. And um, just coming to an end here, uh, you know, think about this. Uh, I mean, how often do we think like that? How often do we think about what we have and, and its use for the, the community? Um, you know, maybe you've been asked this question before. I mean, you, you, you get a raise at work. What do you do? What do you think? Do you, you know, do you think, oh, that's great. I have more money. I can now give more. I can now, I can help more people now because I just got a raise. Do we think that? And I know some of us do, which is a gift of God. Um, or do we more often think, um, oh, I just got more money. That's great. I can buy fill in the blank. Um, or, uh, great, I have more money. I can, instead of going on vacation to a three-star resort, now I can go to a five-star resort. That's great. Um, I think that, 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 that it's a good, um, a good place to just check ourselves, I guess. We'll say it that way. Check our hearts on that. Do we have this sort of dysfunctional relationship with money and possessions where we're tending toward hoarding and spending on self versus letting go and serving others. Uh, that, that would be a mark, really, of this affluenza. Um, Phil Riken says, most Americans have at least a mild case of this deadly disease, he says. That's probably true. We, we all probably have a, at least a mild case of this affluenza, whatever it really is. So, um, even, even so, we get a flu shot. So it's good. We've got, some, we've got some treatment for that. And I think this part of Ecclesiastes does help us with that. Uh, in fact, we get a couple doses of this. We, on the one hand, we just simply are told, matter-of-factly, it's not going to satisfy. Okay? Just know that. Um, and, uh, and then here, here's some reasons why it's not going to satisfy you. Okay? Um, if, you don't, if you don't believe me. But then secondly, we do, kind of as a second dose, we do get pointed to what is satisfying, where that can be found. And, uh, and kind of most immediately, it, it is to be found, enjoyment really is to be found in what we have right now, rather than craving what we don't have. It's to enjoy the things that we have as the gifts that they are. As the gifts are they, that they are, that really will impact how we use what we have. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for, uh, again, pulling us together and, and giving us the opportunity to, um, to sing songs, to um, pray, to be in your word, all, to have fellowship, all the things that you give us as gifts that are tied directly to something like a Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord. 
We, we're not entitled to it. We, we don't deserve it. But boy, we want to receive it gladly. And, um, and I just simply pray that you would take uh, the, whatever is good and right and true and pure in this message and you would just drive it deep into our hearts and minds and help us to live accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen.